If you would like to purchase advertising space on this podcast, or to be a guest, please visit our website at www.angelaudio.me and follow the link to Personal Historians, or call us at 314-325-4769. Story Vault is a production company specializing in capturing the stories of individuals to showcase the value of lives. Story Vault provides digital media recording, storage, and editing of personal histories to return a memoir expressed in consolidated presentation. In turn, we are awarded the witnessed reflection of the accidents that make life's narrative. If you would like to learn more about how we become agents of your personal history, visit our website at www.angelaudio.me and follow the link to Personal Historians. Email us at storyvault at icloud.com or call us at 314-325-4769. All right, uh, talk to me. Test Hi. one, two, check three, four. Bring it up nice and close to you. All right, right up here yeah, like this? you got it. Okay. Cool. Uh, hi. Hi. <laughs> how are you? Good, how are you? <laughs> Good. Uh, you know, this isn't live or anything, so we're not like... Which is different than how we normally work, right? Because mm-hmm. we're... Uh, uh, on stage, we don't have much time to talk about stuff anyway. So right, no. We're always running around getting everything done. So. Mm. Well, you're getting things done, and I'm just... I'm only... I can only do what I do if you get things done. So, oh, just barely. I feel like you work harder than the rest of us some, a lot of times. So. Well, thank you for noticing. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, mm-hmm. It's not harder, it's different. I mean, it is a little harder, and some people would tell you that it's uh, uh, that it is, but you know, it depends on who you are sometimes too. Like mm-hmm. for me, being on stage is a little bit harder. I wouldn't. Yeah, that's true. Somebody like I... said the other day, uh, when you know yourself, like we were talking earlier about knowing yourself, right? I don't know if I'd be very good on stage. I've tried it, you know, a couple of times, and I don't think I'm tone deaf, but I don't have a lot of practice anymore at it. So. Without practice, I get a little, you know, you're not sure, right? Mm-hmm. So even being up there, I'm like, I don't know what I'm... And I'll sing along with it. But you, on the other hand, come from practice, right? You come from a life of practice. Life or long practice. Yeah. <laughs> so, Never stop practicing. <laughs> uh, you want to tell me about it? Every performance is actually a practice. Will you tell me some of your practice and rehearsal stuff, so like where you came from? Yeah, so... I mean, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but um, I think it was in fifth grade. I did my very first solo vocal performance, and um, I really, really enjoyed it. And keep going. I'm looking for a piece of paper or something to write on because my I don't know where I put my thing. I think it's still in the car. Yeah, I think my. Do you want to go get in? No, I can write notes here. Okay. Just don't bother. Don't mind me writing notes in my phone. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there's no texting allowed in my class. I know. And you get out your phone. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, what do you do? Yeah, that's what I was explaining. I'm like, let me tell you that I'm not, that's yeah. not what I'm doing. Uh, um, that's why I even shut off, like I'm shutting off all the things so that it doesn't go off and bother right. me. That's Because <laughs> yeah. now that it's there, I'm like, I don't want to mess with it. That's a big, it's a big thing for me too. I, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I started singing um, like in fifth grade and sixth grade. I did another one and it was just like my mom and dad were like just always my mom and dad are awesome. 
whatever my sister and I have shown an interest in, they just supported us. So I was interested in basketball. We were all about basketball. I got into cheerleading. They supported me in cheerleading. And like, so singing and music has always been something that they supported me in. And they always saw that I had a little bit of talent. So they kind of pushed me a little bit to not give up, which is a good thing. You know, every kid, if they had let me just do whatever I wanted, I never would have actually learned anything. I would have learned a little about a lot instead of a lot about a little. Um, so when I was in high school, we were, we did a, um, contemporary Christian band in my church and my dad played guitar and he bought all the equipment, but, um, my sister's best friend, childhood best friend, she sang with me. We sang, um, unison most of the time and listening back on some of those recordings, it's like one voice. Like, we just got so good at blending and listening to each other. And um, there was always this war about sound. Like, who's the loudest? Who should I be able to hear? I can't hear myself in the monitors. Blah, 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 blah. And so I did that for a few years. And there were the other guys in the band, we had drums, guitar, bass guitar, and, uh, and we had a keyboardist. And then my dad played guitar. And it was a lot of fun. And I think I learned a lot about just emoting in front of a large group of people and using the talent that I had to sing as a vehicle to portray messages. And sometimes it wasn't even a teaching thing. It was just a, I'm here, I'm singing, I am connecting my heart with what, and like my emotions with what everything else is doing. And I don't know, people just liked watching me do that. And so, and I felt alive when I did it. It, it gave me like a, a sense of that was where I really felt like I was doing something that I was supposed to do in my life. Um, this is off topic, but ever since I was a kid, I always knew two things. I always, always knew I was going to be a mom. Like I knew I was supposed to be a mother. Very first thing, when you ask a kid when they're little, what do you want to be when you grow up? I, the very first thing I ever said is I want to be a mom. I knew that. Not everybody, not every woman knows that. Some women know they do not want to be a mom. The second thing I always knew that I always felt is that I was put here on this earth, I'm going to get emotional, to change lives for the better on the grand scale. Like I'm here to make a big difference. So you have a message? I don't know. Or you have something that needs to be said or you have something that you just need to do which you know your feeling of you know I or don't, just your person is making change I think part of it like it's changed throughout my life some like when I was singing in high school with a Christian band I thought it was bringing people closer to church and showing them a way to praise in a yeah. very very old-fashioned very tight locked down place of worship uh -huh. that was very traditional and that wasn't allowed. We had to do our own service. What we did wasn't allowed in the, in the traditional service. And I felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then, um, I went into the young Americans after high school and I knew that I was supposed to do that. And in the young Americans, I was helping kids. I was inspiring the kids from third grade through high schools and senior that they had something in them. They had a light. It was just a matter of getting all this other stuff out of the way so that light could come out. And when I was in Young Americans, we could never hear ourselves sing. 
We never had our own voices in the monitors. The only thing that was in the monitors when you were on stage was the music, the, the backing tracks or the band. Never, ever, ever heard yourself. So you really had to listen. Like, was that on purpose or was yes. it like they purposefully didn't put you in monitors so that you had to be better? Well, the only thing they might, it depended on the song. They might put, like, we had sweeteners on some of our tracks. They might put that through the monitors. But, like, it was the sounds of the voices that would be on microphone weren't coming. That wasn't really what you heard. You heard the, the music. And you were supposed to tune your ear to the music and the people around you. It's, I know, you're probably, I know the sound man in your, in you does not agree with that, but that's No, no, I, I didn't say that. Oh. I didn't say that at all. I, you know, uh, one thing, and I, uh, so not to interrupt a, a very good story, one thing about my background, and I am going to interrupt it, <laughs> is I come from a, a choir background. Mm-hmm. I come from a singing background. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I never had monitors. Never. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't ever work with monitors because... Uh, then you couldn't hear. You your couldn't hear the other singer, right? Yeah, and uh, that's what a choir is. It's it's more even listening in our jazz choirs. Even in our jazz choirs, it was you were singing by yourself. Like you're the individual singing, sure, but you're tuning with the other things, right? So when I got up, even the other day, the other day at the Chamber of Commerce, I was remixing. Ben's ears because as I'm listening to him, I'm like, I don't know how you sing to this. Mm-hmm. I go, I don't, I don't understand because mm-hmm. this doesn't make any sense to my head whatsoever. Right. And I went, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so th- I think that that makes more sense now because Young Americans is originally a choral group. Yeah. It's a, it's based in choral music. Well, it's also a franchise, right? Like, no. it's, I mean, it's a, it's a thing though, but they just keep bringing groups of people in no so what it is is it's a non-profit organization and they do music outreach so if you um become a young american as like you usually go there right after high school and you can go to college there and you can get out college credit is there only one of them there's only one of them there's only so there's one there's one young americans it's in corona california okay and now nope i'm from from Nebraska. nebraska So I'm, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, went to church, and then I, when I was a senior, well, I did a Young Americans workshop, music outreach workshop, when I was like in 10th grade, and I loved it, and after the workshop was over, they do auditions to be a Young American, and I stayed after without telling my choral teacher what I was doing, and I was in that audition room for probably an hour, I sang Amazing Grace, and the director said to me, Bill Brawley said, wow. Um, how old are you? And I said, I'm in 10th grade. And he goes, come back and see us in two years. We're not in the business of taking people out of high school. But keep singing, keep learning, come back in two years. Do you believe that that person influenced you in a way that changed changed you? Oh, my God, yes, because my journey with Bill Brawley did not stop there. So um, I got out of that audition, and my choir teacher, Mrs. Bakey, Sarah Bakey, I love her, she um, was so mad at me, but then as soon as she got done yelling at me, we were so worried about you, she goes, so how'd the audition go? You got to tell me everything, (laughs) you know? Like, it was was just awesome. And then I kind of gave up, but my parents, you know, between... 10th grade and senior year, you just change so much. Yeah. As any person does. Yeah. And my, but my parents never forgot how excited I was when I came home from that audition. And the summer before I was, I 
became a senior, they dragged me up to Michigan to Boyne Highlands to audition at the um, dinner theater that they do there every summer. And we drove from Omaha to Upper Michigan. And you can't see my face. I'm I'm trying to calculate how we get to these different places and like in tenth grade and why you'd be there. You know, like what took you to California? What took you to? You I know because when I was story. in choir, you know, we would go to we went to Chicago. We went to different things and. Uh, you know, jazz choirs and things like that. So I did get to travel and go hang out and do those things. So now, you know, for me, but other people might be going, what? Like, how old are you and where are you at? Because, you know, most people in the world, even in the United States, don't get to travel a lot. I know. It's so sad to me. And I tell my high school, my high school students, like, you need to go outside of America. Yeah. Well, in the, I mean, outside of America, yes. You do need to go travel and visit uh, and see, spend a little bit of time. I've never left the country, so I can't I can't oh. say I need to. I have my passport. I, I, The times that I've been able to, I couldn't afford to or something else happened, and I just, I've never been able to in that way. So I go, okay, um, I know that there's a whole life out there, but I know I can't believe it because I've never actually seen it. It's, I mean, it's, I've traveled around the country. I know all the different areas of the country. I spend weeks here. I've spent weeks there. I've been on tour around the country. Here's the thing. There's a difference between tra- um, traveling and touring. Mm, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, when we go on cruises, yes, we're in other countries, but it is a tourist destination. So let's get back on track here. So um, I grew up in Omaha. The reason why I went to this workshop is because it was held in Blair, Nebraska, which is not far from this tiny little town where I grew up. There was about 50 people in my graduating class. We had one black kid in the entire school. And I went to this workshop in 10th grade. So the summer before I was a senior, I went and I auditioned at this dinner theater. And it was, like, awesome. Like, the best. It was so awesome to me. And... um, I auditioned afterwards, and they let me know I got in right away. So then my next step was, okay, how? what am I going to do while I'm there? Because the, at that time in history, the YAs only rehearsed on Saturday and Sunday. Monday through Friday is completely up to you. So I always... So this is after high school, right? So this is, I graduate high school, I'm going to California. Got it. And I knew that's what I was doing. Like... I made that decision and it felt 100% right in me. Was I afraid? A little, yeah, well, kind of, but I was way more excited because I knew that was right. So I knew I wanted to go to college. Most young Americans, they work Monday through Friday and they live like five people to an apartment. They try to make ends meet so that Saturday and Sunday they can just rehearse. I went to college. I toured three different colleges. I got into USC School of Music, Chapman University, and Concordia, Irvine. And I thought USC would be my my first choice. University of Southern California, the Trojans. Oh, my gosh. It was like way too much culture shock for me, little Nebraska girl. <laughs> Concordia, Irvine, I thought I'd want to go because I was so active in my church. Through all this, I'm still singing in that church band. Um, it was too cookie cutter for me it was too like goody two shoes and actually it was like backbiting at the same time it was goody two shoes so then chapman university ended up being the perfect spot for me i was a vocal performance major but i had zero background in classical music and i just did not fit in there like so all three of them you didn't fit in 
Um, well, Chapman was where I ended up going for a semester. And I was happy to leave that chapter behind because it just wasn't the right place for me. You got to know where you fit, right? Yeah. And I didn't even, I didn't know that I didn't fit. So, but it seemed like the best place at the time. Mm -hmm. So I just had to go learn. And I, being at Chapman was probably the best vocal health I've ever been in because I was learning classical techniques versus singing in the back of your throat and my my range grew like I was doing ear training practice every day I was learning theory I was going to all these sectional rehearsals I mean I was a good I was doing awesome as a singer like physical singer so after a semester at Chapman I actually auditioned for and got on a tour with the Young Americans a music outreach tour so in January, we started rehearsals. Oh, by the way, so in Chapman, I'm developing all this ear training and listening in choirs. And you're, there's no microphones involved whatsoever. Right. If, it's if, a lot harder. If, I mean, it, well, it's, it's harder with a microphone, I should say. It's easier with if you're just natural, acoustic, trying to tune with somebody right. else. Because mm-hmm. you hear them... Um, you hear them naturally. And right. you can match yourself to what you're hearing from them. Right. Uh, when you put this into play, you're no longer hearing yourself. When right. you put a microphone into play, you're hearing what I hear you, which is not necessarily the same thing that your ear hears. Right. So the inside of your head sounds a certain way. When you hear yourself recorded and sent back to you, it's different. Basically, what I'm doing is sitting back into your head on a regular basis, what this thing is doing, right. not what your ear is doing. So it takes some... It takes some change mm-hmm. to do it. And even like when you guys are record rehearsing. Uh, oh, that's a mess. Yeah. I know. I know the sound is a mess. And so when no, you wait, I'm, I'm not, let's get, I am not at rehearsal. No, you're not. <laughs> I am not contracted to be at rehearsals. Let's I'm put not that at out this there. time. <laughs> not at this time, but honestly, like, so with young Americans, when we were learning parts, you don't use microphones. You stand in a circle yeah, and you say you, you learn the part, you plunk it out on a piano, you are singing one melody, the someone singing the alto part, someone singing tenor, yes. and you stand in a circle and you stare at each other, and you have to be a good enough singer to hold your part, but you also need to be a good enough listener to make it all work together. Yep. So we would be on microphone and you could just barely hear, but you've already practiced and build up the kinesthe- kinesthetic memory, the muscle memory, so you know how you're sand- sounding. So that's young Americans is what let me learn. They taught me how to be a good performer and how to be a good team member. And if there's one thing I think I wish that we could improve on and all mixed up the band where you run sound for us, it's just how we gel as choral singers. I agree. So there's a, that's one of the harder things about mixing all mixed up is that, uh, there's not real strong vocals mm-hmm. across the board. Uh, it's it's one of the biggest complaints that I get from being out there, like out now that I'm out in the crowd, people talk to me, you know, uh, that we can't hear you. And I go, not you necessarily, but we can't hear the vocals. And I go, my first reaction is to take that amongst myself, right? It takes it on myself and go, okay, well, that's my fault because I'm the sound guy, right? Okay. Well, then I started doing, taking that into stock and going, okay, how much of it is mine? You know, how much of it is mine? And I'll start going through it like your ears. I'm going to start listening to your ears to make sure that you're hearing what you should hear so that I can take credit for you doing well 
not necessarily the fact that they can't hear you, because there's something not right if they can't hear you. And it begins with me, because I'm the sound guy, and I'm, I know how this thing's supposed to work, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to get that through to all of you guys is a little different. Like, trying to, like, they, band members don't like to listen to sound guys either. They like to know what they're, they think they know what they're doing, right? Well, like you said, Young Americans didn't teach you how to use a microphone. They didn't teach you how to sing into a microphone and how to get it to sound the way that you want to. There's no, there's no, there's no language for you to talk to me through this thing to get what you want. You don't know they that. They did, but it was it was just probably not to the level that you would probably like. Your your knowledge is way past where mine is. I know like this much. I would like you know I would like more performers to know how to talk to me. Because that's one thing that we get called. Like, why do you got to be such a dick? And I go, I'm not really a dick. You just don't know how to explain to me what you want. Mm-hmm. So I have to I have to do it in a loud atmosphere to tell you what you want. Because you're not able to converse with me and yeah. tell me the things that you need because the language isn't there. Uh, that's part of where I try to teach, you know, as much as possible. Where I go, hey, this is, you know... But you can't really do that when you're yelling at each other, oh, and yeah. le- when drums are going and everything else is going, you and know. It's and I'm the middle like, middle of a gig, it's just like I can't hear myself. <laughs> right. That's all I can think to say. And that's where you know, you know, I have a problem with bad management. It's that's all. I just have a problem with bad management of people and things. There's a you know, if it was important, people would be getting better at things. They would try to find ways to improve. If it's not important, if it's a background something or another, I believe people put it on the back burner and let it go and see who else will take control of it. Well, I think you just need to teach us. You need to um, make it important. That's what I'm doing. For other people. I'm like trying. It's important to you. So it needs, and, and I'm not saying you're not doing that, but... If it's not important to us, then you got to teach us why should why it should be important to us. But that's also for you to know that you're singing too hard. So when you can't hit the things that you know that your vocals can hit, that you've had practice at, that you know, so to support yourself to go, well, I know that I can sing these normally. Like when I'm practicing in my range, I can sing this stuff. It means that you're pushing too hard to get over all of that. That's true. but And you're the leading the band. You're the song leading the band. You're the thing that everybody's listening to. You're the lead singer. You're supposed to be leading the band. So they should be f- supporting you, not you trying to keep up with all of them. That's true. You don't have percussion. You don't have your voice. You have me amplifying you. That's one thing. That's one thing. But if you have all that other live stuff, like Rocky right behind you playing, you have Scott playing his guitar, which is trying to keep over Rocky. Those two fight. Hmm. And... So when they do, you're in the caught in the middle of it. And that's because I know that. That's my job is to know that you're pushing too hard. So when I go back in and listen to your ears and go, yeah, you don't hear yourself well enough. Mm-hmm. When you're singing, you can't hear yourself well enough over the bleed of all of the microphones. That's why I brought new microphones that pick up less stuff for you guys so that we're not picking up everything on the stage. Mm-hmm. I can't, I don't tell you all that in the middle of it all, right? Right. I do it because those are the things that need to be done when I hear problems. And it's only from this amount of time working with you that I know the problems happen. Mm-hmm. So for you, you could tell them to quiet down. You know, I'm having trouble singing. And they're going to go, 
well, you have to learn how to keep up, which is the same thing they say to Carrie, right? You have to learn how to keep up. You have to be up with us. Sure, sure. Sometimes when you're playing a horn in somebody's head, you know, he doesn't have to keep up very hard. Mm-hmm. He's blowing air out. He's got to keep his lungs up and his chops up to keep the notes going, but that's not really much. You know, when you're singing, you're, it all comes from here. Everything else is, could you keep up? Sure. Are you necessarily with the right group if you can't? I don't know. Hmm. But it's only your voice. And if you're straining it and hurting it to try to keep up with the things around you, then that's not supportive of you, is it? No, but um, I do think that there are factors that you aren't considered that are not factored into what you just said. Okay. So like with the young Americans, I learned it wasn't the performances that were killing my voice that would make my, make me lose my voice. Cause I ended up going on five tours. I did a summer at Boyne. Like I did lots and lots of shows with them. Mm-hmm. When we do music outreach tours, we do workshops with high, with sk- with kids where we work with them for three days and then at the end of the third day we do a show first hour first act is young american second act is ys and all the kids and it wasn't the shows where i would lose my voice it's from talking in the workshop for three days and yelling over the kids and being in a gymnasium where the sound is bouncing off all the walls and you're not speaking correctly so for the past few years my as a vocalist i have not been regularly sitting at the piano warming up you know taking care of my voice you can't expect to have to like fit into your favorite jeans if you net if all you do is eat cake and candy and never go to the gym you know same thing with the voice it is a physical instrument yes it's not an instrument i put in a case and can put away for a while and then come back to so on top of that as a teacher I speak all day long and I'm often speaking like trying to project my voice over 30 high school kids. Um, the people that I'm around all, most often, they, they talk down in their throat. They talk like this. I don't know if you can hear the difference, oh, yeah, but it, totally. it's down here mm-hmm. and this is where they talk. And when I'm around them, it's a, a lot, tired voice. When I'm around them a lot, I tend to sink my voice as well, <laughs> just because you pick up on it. You are the five people you hang around the most. Okay, so I start picking up on those things. Scott does it. The girl that my my really good friend that teaches in the classroom next to me does it. A bunch of my students do it. So when I'm talking all week long like that and then I come to a gig that is taking out. That is like I'm walking in with a sore, sore voice already. So I said something that you don't agree with because I see your brain going. Why is somebody doing that? Like, what part of them makes them talk down? Why are they doing it? Like, it, there's a purpose behind it. It's not just because they want to. Why? <clears throat> what, what is it doing? And so my thing goes, well, I believe if somebody talks down in their voice, they're either being at hushed tones or they're being subversive in some way to go underneath it or <clears throat> they're just tired Yeah. because they've been working their thing too hard and they don't know how to they're not projecting they're not trying hard they're just they're yeah and i go yeah that's not really good for you and i can't understand you so i would agree with that because when i'm excited and when i'm feeling full of life 
I just naturally place my voice higher up here where it should be. And then like I'm, I'm speaking in a way that is practicing. So I said, I'm always practicing. That's because I'm always talking. Like I've never had a single day. I mean, I can't think of a day where I haven't said a word, you know? And when I speak, I'm practicing how I'm going to sing. Um, because you're using that instrument. Right. Right. So, um, so yeah, after I left Young Americans, okay, so I went home to Nebraska for a little bit because I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I had company managed a tour. Five years, right? I was with them three and a half years. Okay. The last tour I did with them, I was company manager, and it was awesome, but, man, I was tired emotionally and mentally afterwards. Kind of got put through the ringer on a few things, and I, I was like, this is really when I came in, this was like the ultimate job for me and young Americans. And I just did it. And I got to regroup and maybe it's time for me to move on. I did what I think I came here to do. It's time for me to move on. So I went back to Nebraska and I kind of just like hung out for about, I don't know, nine months. I helped my grandma go on a couple trips with her art and sell it. She used to go, she's an amazing lady. She's um, an artist and she supported herself as an artist creating paintings for decades. So she's getting older. My grandpa couldn't, grandpa couldn't go with her to these art fairs on the weekends. So I went with her to a few and helped her sell paintings and stuff like that. I worked at a restaurant. I worked at a restaurant and made some money. I was trying to find my own apartment. I ended up going to school at Lindenwood in St. Charles because I had been dating a guy in young Americans who went to Lindenwood on a pole vaulting scholarship and he got his track coach to offer me a scholarship to manage the track team. Oh, nice. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really know what else I'm doing. Um, let's go. And I was so used to moving around because with the Young Americans, when you're on tour, like there was a good solid year and a half where I did not have a place to live. And all my stuff was just in a storage unit yeah. in Southern yeah. California. And when I'd come home for two weeks to rehearse for a tour, I just stayed with a friend. Yeah. And then I went back out on tour. Um, so... I was not, I was like, let's move. And things fell apart between me and this guy over the summer, but I still wanted to go. I had a scholarship. I had an apartment. I had like, I had a friend or two that I had met through him. So I went on down and we broke up. It was the kind of breakup where he just stopped returning my calls, which is kind of crappy because we'd been dating for like eight months. Yeah. Um, but whatever. And I still went down there and it was hard, but it was totally meant to happen. And I was on my own and I was paying my own bills when I was 22, which was good. My mom and dad supported me while I did Young Americans because it's a nonprofit organization. You don't get paid to do it, to go on tours, but then it doesn't cost you anything either. So like they pay for all of your travel expensive, but I don't get paid. But what I get paid in is experience experiences and learning and touching other people in in the world seeing the world you know so anyways um I was down here and I ended up I was waiting tables at the Little Hills Winery in St. Charles and there was a little jazz duo and one of the guys I worked with was like you got to get Andy to sing get Andy to sing so I was like okay so I sang with him and the guy and the guys in the jazz trio were real in, um impressed because I had all this energy I had all this performance capability that I just wasn't even using you were just there right? I was just there 
Yeah. Well, I was in the theater program, but I'm sorry. I loved the theater program, but getting to perform three times a semester does not even compare to what you get to do with Young Americans. So um, he ended up hunting me down. I started singing jazz, and I was at a winery, and um, the guys from Planet Boogie were setting up for a wedding that night, Jenny and Dennis, and they they said, we are lead singers pregnant. She's going to be taken off. We're going to need someone to fill in. Would you want to audition for us? And I said, sure. So I gave him my number. I totally forgot about it. Months later, they emailed, and I did an audition, and the audition went great. Dennis was there. Keith was there. It was Keith's audition as well to be a trumpet player. And I remember in the audition, I was just kind of singing. I wasn't really going for it. And then Dennis got out. He came to a sax solo, and he just threw down, (laughs) like threw it down. And I was like, well, holy shit, this just started, (laughs) you know? And so then I was like, I'm not going to let them show me up. And I... I just started like wailing and singing and like letting it come out. And then they were like, Oh, okay. And I sang, um, Alison Krauss, when you say nothing at all. And when it came to time for harmony, it was the first time I'd ever sung with those guys, but it was like locked in. Like the harmony was perfect. And even Terry Kane, he would, he was like, I knew, I knew it when we sang that song that you were the one. So I started singing with them, but they, we did not have in-ear monitors and we were playing fast eddies. I couldn't hear anything. And I was getting wasted at every gig. Like they were even talking to me, like, you got to really watch what you're drinking. Cause I was just getting wasted. It was a big party. Yeah. That's, you know, and I, it's easy. I could barely make it through the third set. Like first and second sets were okay. But third set, I was so drunk um, and I would lose my voice every single weekend and all my professors and the, everybody at Lindenwood was like, you're screwing up this gift you have. You got to decide, are you going to sing in bars or are you going to be on the stage? Cause they all wanted, they all thought I had promise as like a Broadway performer. And let's be honest, if I really, really wanted to pursue that, I probably could have done something with that, but it just wasn't, it oh, wasn't what I really wanted. No, I believe I heard your your first one of your first lines of this interview was that you knew two things, right? That you wanted to be a mom mm-hmm. and that you wanted to change people's minds, basically, right? People's lives. Yeah, people's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was on the broad spectrum, right? Like lots of people's lives, right? Yeah. Huge. Uh if you don't mind me saying, I can pretty much guarantee you're not going to do that in a bar. You've done the first part of it. Mm. Oh, no, I agree. But I do... And you have two very nice kids. Yeah. That's what I mean. You've done the first part of it. Oh, yes. No, that is absolutely one of the best things. I mean, you are life. a mom, right? Yeah. That's a you, you took care of that part of that thing, yeah. right? I think a lot of it was... A lot of me in my past is like finding the right mate... To make that dream come true. And so that's part of why I'm like so grateful that Scott picked me. Because Scott is very picky. Very picky. And I did not fit into his plan. He's very analytical. and I was not part of the plan at all. It messed up his timeline. And I'm just really glad that he like picked me and cared enough to like call me on some of my bullshit. And like... I had to learn 
like what it really meant to me. And I thought I was like going to be on in a real relationship, but he had to call me on some things. And it was when I was like, okay, you're right. And learned and invested that it was like, oh, so I just feel really lucky that he, you know, he picked me. Um, anyway, it doesn't happen for everybody. It does not. It doesn't happen for everybody. And that's, uh, it's a, it's a hard thing not that it shouldn't happen for everybody. It's just that it doesn't, you know, and that's, it's sad. Yeah. Uh, I was going somewhere. Well, let me talk about sound. I keep trying to get to this sound thing. Yeah, we are. And we've been, we've been putting it in and out of this thing. And I, I want to get there too. Um, now that we got you through where you came from and how you know how you to be on stage. That was how we wanted to get started was how you figured out how to be on stage and, you know, what makes you good at being up there, right? What makes you be a performer and a master performer, right? I can't believe you just said that. Master performer? What? Sure. I don't know that I'm How many that. hours do you think you've put on stage? Like throughout my lifetime? Yeah. Oh, shoot. I don't know. You're a master performer. Hmm. Well, if hours are the only stipulation required for that, then that... It is. I don't know that I, re I agree with that. It is. 50,000 hours, I think, is something like that. Oh There's some gosh. number of how many hours it takes to be practicing your craft to be uh, a master at it. So here's my thing, though. Like, are we taking into account my teaching? Because a lot of what I do on stage has definitely evolved since I became a teacher in high, the high school it. setting. You use it. Mm -hmm. You use the, see, the th we, we talked briefly earlier about influence, right? And the ability to influence. Do you believe that you have influence over people when you're on stage? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have the power of your voice louder than everybody else. Things you say matter. The way you act, the way you perceive yourself, the way you put yourself out there to people, because you are a power bigger than they are. They have a little voice that nobody can hear. Yeah. I just know that where I've put my focus, that's what I will manifest in my life. In fact, I kind of had an awakening this morning. Can I explain it? Sure. I, um, last, or maybe it was a two school years ago, I was talking to a teacher in my building about Arbonne, and I was, she wanted to start a business. She was like, from the first time she heard it, she was like, I want to do this. I was like, great, let's do it. So I was getting her started. And at one point I was talking to her in the hallway and then we were, our conversation was done and I went into my classroom. Another teacher came out who's kind of a goofball anyways. And he was like, oh, is she just trying to sell you something? And after that, this girl stopped. She did a total 180 and was not interested. And, and I was like, okay, so what are some of your fears keeping you from doing something that is literally no risk. And she's, she's talking to me and she finally tells me, well, remember that one day we were in the hall, so-and-so came over and this is what he said. And that is over a year ago. That's like almost two years ago. And, or no, I guess it's a year and a half ago. Talking about you? Mm -hmm. He was talking about you trying to sell her something? Yeah. Or was she oh, you just, just trying, trying to sell, to sell you yeah. something? She's trying to tell, I think his words were, is she trying to sell you something too? Like as if I'd just been walking around sell, trying to sell, trying to sell, trying to sell. And it just really has bothered me. And um, it suddenly hit me this morning like he just doesn't know. Like he just doesn't even know what I'm about. And I think what angered me was his ignorance and the fact that his ignorance 
ruined the chance for another person to have something meaningful in their life that could change her life, her kid's life, her family's life. Because this is a woman that was giving up teaching in order to stay home with her family. And she was so scared about having enough money to provide. And, and if our, she would have done it a year ago, she would have been started on it already. Yeah. It would have and been already he, there. Because he spread doubt. Spread doubt. And you know why? Because he doesn't understand what I do. Because he's jealous. And that is, that is I know. But it, I, it, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's maybe. true. I mean, there's a part of him in there that wishes he could do all that, that you would approach him to be a part. Of, you know, there's a part of it that goes like, I want things for free and easy. Yeah, I mean, we like become we like be, to be comfortable. Comfort is the biggest is one of the largest limiting factors to your own potential. You reaching your own potential. So success. Finally, success and comfort. Finally, this morning I it hit me. I was like, you really just need to feel bad for him. You just need to pity him, not be angry with him. And I and this morning I think I finally took the step towards realizing I was letting him I was letting him have control over me. And that's, I don't, I don't want him to have control over me. That's a negative. That's a bad thing. That's a negative, like, source. And I don't want to be sucked into that. So I'm not going to let him have control over me. I'm going to let him. And he has no clue that I know about any of this. But I, I know he knows that I can't stand the sight of him because <laughs> for a year and a half in school, I've just been like, don't even talk to me. <laughs> like, so when I started singing with, I wanted to say this though, like even when I started singing with Planet Boogie, we just had floor monitors. We did not have in-ear monitors. And when I started using in-ear monitors, man, that changed. I was so much more um, accurate in my pitch. You could hear yourself. I could hear myself finally. And for the longest time, that's all I wanted was in my in-ears was just me. If I want to hear the rest of the instruments on the band in the band, I will take out one of my in-ear monitors. And then when you came on the scene, I still don't know, like you said, I don't know the language, but there's times where I'm just like, I just can't even hear. Can you fix my ear? Or one one time a while back I said, I'm losing my voice, and you said, "Well, how's your in-ear?" And like I didn't even know that I I wasn't hearing things right. And then you fixed it, and I was like, Oh my God, now I can hear. And, and I was able to sing correctly. I remember so you said I, it in the middle of the set. You're like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I could sing correctly. So then I was like, my voice was going to last, you know? So if. Thank you. Because that's what I need other people to know. Is yeah. that I, that's something I know how to do. It's a, it's a thing that I can't tell you I know how to do that. You have to. You have to realize the fact that it was this way beforehand. Now it's this way. Mm-hmm. And it's a marked improvement. Oh, my gosh. And I also hear the guys in the band more clearly. Um, and I think you put when you put piano in my in-ear, it helps me stay on pitch because that is, like, digitized and it's not going out of tune, you know? Um, so I definitely hear the guys in the band, I hear myself. It's it's just so different. Keith tries his absolute best with what he's got. I mean, I got to give the guy credit. He has been so influential in my life. I know he doesn't know. I mean, he didn't go to a, any kind of, get some any kind of certification. He's never done those training classes. He was reading online and follow, listening to podcasts and just doing the best he could. So I'm sure it was 
backwards. And it's we've seen great improvement since you stepped in. Thank I you. mean, <laughs> it, here's the thing. Like, I'm on stage. I don't get to hear what's coming out of the audience unless there's a song where I don't do anything. And even if there's a song where I don't do anything, that it's means I have rare. to act, which is very rare. Um, I have to actually want to walk out there. <laughs> Some, there's times where I don't want to walk out there. And I make that decision that I am not going to go out in the, in the audience. Oh, yeah. What I see is it's more enjoyable for us as a band because we get to be there and just do what brings us joy and what allows us to bring others joy. Like you are kind of like the platform that lets us do what we do best. And Keith used to be running around and so stressed and he was trying to do sound as he's trying to play trumpet. And it just was not a professional. It was not a professional thing. Like you can't run sound and play in the band at the same time. If you're going to try to be getting the kind of gigs that we want to get, you know? So that was huge. Just watching my good friend have more fun. And then all of us having more fun. And Keith said to me one time, he, he had been buying all these different microphones for me to try. And he was trying to find the right thing to make my voice project. Because mine apparently just does not cut through as well. At one point, I was just like, thank you, Keith, for buying all this equipment. Like, I can't, I could not afford this. Because at that time in our life, right. Scott, and, I don't even know that Scott and I were dating at that time. Or maybe we had just gotten married. I mean, How long ago was that? Uh, well, Scott and I have been married for almost 11 years. When okay. Scott and I bu- got married... When did he start playing in the band? Um, he's been in the band for about nine years. Okay. So, I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah. <laughs> when we got married, we were broke. Like, Scott asked me, can you... We bought a house. Can you um, contribute $500 a month to the mortgage? And I was like... Pfft. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even like my my monthly rent right now is two hundred fifty dollars. I think I can, but I don't know. I mean, we bought our house, and like just going out to dinner one night a month would break us, and we would be dipping into savings. We ran through like so much, seven grand in savings just in the first year of owning our home because we just didn't make enough to cover the monthly payments. I mean, it was right before the stock market crash. Yep. We bought our house in December of 2007, January 2008, boom. And we were smarter when we bought this house. We we underbought yeah. quite a bit because, yes. you know, you start out scrimping and scr- like barely getting by, but with over the years, you make more. And then we were at a point with our old house where we're like, well, this is nice. We can have nice cars and we can go on nice vacations because this mortgage that used to seem so huge, now we're paying extra on it and we've still got tons of extra play money. I don't mean tons. Please don't misunderstand me. But You have extra. Yeah. So that's when we bought this house. We you sw- worked over your old house. Yeah. yeah. So we underbought for this one just because we like to be able to do that. Yeah. We like not stressing. I hear you. I mean, I we, hear you. We were approved for more and we did not go for it. So anyways... Keith was buying equipment that I knew. I mean, it took me three months to pay him $200 for a microphone. And um, he said, I just said, I really appreciate everything. And he goes, well, I think good management is a manager doing what needs to be done to help someone on his team succeed. Or it was something along those lines. Like a good good leader 
is just seeing what needs to be done to help his team succeed or be the best they can be. And I've just never forgotten that. And Keith was working like crazy to mix sound before you came on board. It was tearing him up. He hated coming to gigs. Now we like it. I mean, you know, it's still a Saturday night and we're like, oh, I got to go to a gig. But it's still a lot of fun, though. So. I mean, it's not an everyday job, right? It's not like going uh, nine to five and going to an office and sitting there and doing paperwork and then going home to watch TV and, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a different life. It's yeah. not, you know, uh, it's a break from the norm. Yeah. Which as creative people, Scott and I, we need that. We need the break from the norm. I love the security when we don't have gigs of just being with my kids and like those weekend routines, but it's always fun to break it and just yeah. go, have fun. And like I like I said, these two things that I was meant to do in my life, I do feel like when I'm in front of a crowd singing that I'm cha- I'm making a change for people. Our last gig. Oh my gosh. When we did the um anthem at, F- at Fast Eddie's, the national anthem. Mm, yeah. So for those of you that are listening that don't know, <laughs> We sing it, we play at Fast Eddie's, and Eddie started a tradition where every band that begin they start the night with the national anthem. So I sang it a cappella. Friday night, um, I've actually, I was actually kind of excited to do this because it sounded good doing it. I think that people will respond. Um, We started, Missouri um, enacted a law a few years ago where you have to say the pledge or the pledge has to be read over the loudspeaker in high school every single day. And I remember when it started, there was all kinds of resistance from students. They didn't want to stand up or they would just talk through it. And you don't get that now. Like little by little, our dignity and our respect for all of those traditions has increased. I was excited to do this at Fast Eddie's because I was thinking this is, this could actually be really good. And, you know, I know exactly what to say. We just want to honor those who have served that are here with us and those that are not with us. So you're welcome to remove your hats, to stand and put your hand on your heart if you would so choose to. But it's not a requirement, you know? So Friday night, I could, when I started singing, I turned around, I faced the flag. Everybody was still talking. About halfway through, I could tell without looking that they were kind of with me. Uh, it took me a minute. <clears throat> Part of that was my fault, because, and, I, and I'm not taking credit for this, but I'm saying that we did it completely unrehearsed. Oh, yeah. Like, no, nothing. All of a sudden, you just started singing. I'm like, yeah, we are not set for this. Oh. So because you are by yourself doing your thing, it's a completely different feel than trying to put you in with the band. Oh, so I So on the fly, I mean, you start singing. I went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is not even close to, I mean... Let me say this in a different way. You have never once sang an a cappella song like the National Anthem at the beginning of a gig as soon as we turn on the thing. Never. It is not set for that. It is not. It's not how we do business. It's no, not, you know. It's a different. Uh, but it is how Shane has do- typically done a lot of business. It's how, seriously, I, I've learned how to do things really quick because people don't have time to give me sound checks. They don't understand what it's like to start with a full room. They don't know this stuff. Yeah. 
So for me, it's like, okay, let's go. And just as fast as I can make this thing work. Ah. Uh, people come to me all the time. Like in the first three songs, they go, we can't hear this. I go, yeah, <clears throat> this isn't television. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is right. Nothing is right. You guys have all changed the way you play. Mm-hmm. You change the way you sing. Today, you're not as excited as the last time. You know, the, do we ever have a real sound check? No. No. <clears throat> because we don't have a place for it. We hardly ever have time for it. We're in the middle of a wedding thing and people are already showing up. Mm-hmm. We have enough that I can put together what bases a first song so that I'm not killing people mm-hmm. when you guys start because you start with this Wah! all of a sudden mm. and people go, what the hell just happened? And I go, yeah, we can't have that. We have to go like this. Mm-hmm. Here, we're starting. Yeah. You guys don't like to start that way. You like to start We big do and like loud. to start big and loud. So I have to ease people in by starting you just a little less than yeah. big and loud and then bring it up underneath it. Okay. Well, that's not what the national anthem is. The national anthem is an anthem. It's a thing that starts big and grows bigger. Mm-hmm. So when you started it, I had to get you bigger. I had to fill you up all around that thing that you were doing, and you'd never done it yet. Yeah. So until you got your, like, until you could hear yourself the way that you wanted to hear it and then really put yourself into it, and then you went, whoop, and blew up like that because you got comfortable because you could hear it, and you went, now I'm past the first thing. Here we go. Let's really go after yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and w- I had never done it. No, I you, mean, were, so, you were freestyling and, it. And then also <laughs> Keith was trying to throw in harmonies. And as soon as he started singing, I was like, oh, my God, what Please are we stop. doing? Please stop. Yeah, I did. I was yeah. like, oh, oh, just let me do it. I mean, I wasn't thinking I that. I was like, because he wasn't doing it well, but I couldn't figure out how to not do that. So. It, it was throwing. The anthem is really hard to sing. It is. It's very difficult to sing because the intervals have to be so clean. And you, for me, I have to start it low enough so that I can hit the higher notes and really let them ring. And um, anyways, halfway through the song, I could hear people stopped talking. And when I turned around, they clapped a little bit after it was done. Saturday, same thing. When I started, they weren't with it. But halfway, about, about a third of the way through, I could tell they were quiet. And then I could hear them singing with me. And then... When I got to or the land of the free and I just let it go, they started cheering. And when I turned around Saturday, they were, I have to sit up because I get excited talking about it. They were going nuts. They were clapping. I turned around. They were on their feet. And I, my heart was bursting. And I had to say, thank you so much for joining me in that song like that was just wow and then (laughs) I'm not done don't interrupt me yet and then this is how I know that I'm making a difference at Fast Eddie's because in the middle of the second set I'm singing there on the front of the stage and this girl comes up and she's got this real scary looking biker dude with a skull rag on long beard tattoos everywhere and he goes like this he goes hey hey and he's putting his elbow in my face and I was like huh. and I'm reading and it says like 101st 100 101st and I'm like I think that's military and so he leans over and he goes 101st airborne and he reaches out and we like grabbed each other and he goes thank you and that made me just I did something 
that affected a person. It did. That's why I'm here. Would you like to talk Arbon? Sure. We have been doing this for an hour. We should quit soon because I need to yes. take care of my family. <laughs> um, I don't know what to talk about, Arbon, except I just believe in it. Like, I believe in the power of getting high school kids to enjoy reading. That is a noble, dignified pursuit in my life, to get kids, high school kids in today's world to enjoy reading good books. I think that's the key to our future um, because I think it's a gateway. Reading or interested in books? Specifically reading them or interested in a book in general, like uh, audiobooks or... Or do you specifically say, sit down and read a book? I think it's reading because the teacher in me, um, I read, but I do listen to audiobooks in addition. But if you can read a book, if you can, if you can read something that's easy for you, like let's find you, I have students that are, are like, they're at like a sixth grade reading level and they're in my 10th grade English class. I still get them to read 10 books a year because I find something that is on their level. You can't give them something that's super hard to read when they're down here because they're going to struggle with just the act of reading. You got to get them something easy and then you work them up. And so if they can be stronger readers, they can get through anything in life. I also, in the same way, want them to be strong researchers because if you go online you, you can find whatever it is. You can find justification for whatever it is you want to believe, no matter what you want to believe. And Google knows how to tra- how to point us to where we want to be, okay? Yep. I do believe that. And the thing is, is like I know that I am ignorant about a lot of things because I know I haven't done the research and looked at several issues, several sides of the issue. And I'll be the first one to tell you that. So I believe getting kids to enjoy reading, to not look at reading and go, oh, if I can get them to enjoy it, they're going to be more likely to investigate multiple viewpoints on something. Like it all builds, but that is the core. And that honestly is the same. The passion I have for that is the same passion I have for Arbon. There are so many crazy things that Americans do and consume that's just mind-blowing when you look at honest-to-God scientific research. And I'm not talking about the kind of research where this is Google led me down the, bre- the breadcrumb trail that I wanted to Rabbit be down. Right. Yeah, right. no, I like you cannot deny the science. Yeah. And the, the way that we live is not perfect, but everybody, if everybody just made small changes, trading out this toothpaste for this toothpaste trading out this um the regular apples for the organically grown apples trading out your cosmetics for something that's pure or cleaner that's beneficial to your body like that is how we're going to change america um, americans take up five percent of the world population but we consume 95% of the world's pharmaceutical drugs. We are the most overweight yet undernourished nation in the world. We have problems. And I feel like I have 
a message. I have a purpose. My purpose is to help other people. And Arbonne is one way I do that. I help people get healthier. And not only that, with the business opportunity, like I help people have options. I mean, for some of the families, I like you can make as much or as little as you want. But for some of my consultants, $500 a month is a game changer. Yeah. I mean, $500 a month is nothing for, as far as like how much time you put into something like this. But for some families, it's like, it, it's, it's huge. Well, they also get to see how they get to earn their own money. Yeah. Oh, and that isn't even, so whether if someone is a client or a consultant, like I have clients that I've coached through the Healthy Living Program, and yes, they lost weight. Yes, some of their joint pain disappeared. Yes, their skin cleared up. Yes, they learned this. And there's all these great health benefits, but it does not compare it doesn't even compare to the personal sense of accomplishment that I love seeing in my clients where they glow. They just absolutely glow and like people can't help but say, oh, my gosh, you look amazing because they're just they're on they're in love. They're on fire. They're in love with life. And it's because they feel good and they know like I point out to them. You did this. You did something really good. Good for you. And then they go, I have the power to do something good for myself. <laughs> so I think what I get off on, honestly, is empowering other people. Like, I love telling my high school students, always ask for more choices. Never accept just one choice. Or I want you to be like Professor Faber in Fahrenheit 451 and I want you to know that you're alive. How many of you know that you're alive? And they'd have no clue what I'm talking about. That's okay. It's going to come back to them in two years. Sometime and you will. at yeah. some point, they're going to be like, hey, that one crazy English teacher talked to me about that. And that's okay with me. So much of what we do in life is planting seeds. You can't expect someone to jump on board with whatever you're doing when they first meet you most people are skeptical I was when I first heard about Arbon. I honestly I knew it was I was supposed to get that message I knew that I was supposed to watch that video and that it was the answer for what we were going through at the moment the person that sent it to me didn't even know we were I was going through something she was just like putting it out there mm -hmm. and um that's good marketing yeah good and marketing. and I and I knew but I still spent a week trying to research a way out of it a way out of what I knew was right. The reason why I started my business, I'm just going to be honest, was because I, I needed to make money. Scott was going through some anxiety things. He had a really good corporate job. I loved being, I loved being a teacher, as you can't, if you can't tell that already. And um, I, but I also kind of had felt like, well, this is easy. I'm going to let him have the really stressful job. That's his role. He makes more than twice of what I do. But I get to do what I love, and I'm home in the summers. I get home early in the afternoon. I get to be active in our the upbringing of our children. And I was probably content. Like, if you had asked me, where will you be in 25 years? I would have been like, probably still teaching in the same place, getting ready for retirement. And I was like, well, it's kind of sad, but okay, it's comfortable. Then Scott started really struggling with anxiety and stress. And I was like, okay, this is your job. Your job is bringing this on. We were going, I don't know if you ever know, knew this, but like in the matter of three weeks, he lost 20 pounds. He didn't sleep 
more than an hour a night. He was questioning everything in our marriage. He was questioning, like he couldn't, he could barely drive to work. We went to the emergency room. Like, when was this? Uh, it was the summer of 2017. Two years ago. He, we Year didn't, okay. we didn't tell anybody like, but I was like, this, this is like really, really scary. I'm afraid to leave you because I'm afraid that you're going to hurt yourself if I leave you. And he wasn't, but there, his brain was just stuck on this loop. So I was like, I got to do something to change this. I, I can't just, the way we are right now is not sustainable. So I have to change it. And I'm the one that has more power in this moment. I'm the one that's got to step up. I've been kind of resting on my laurels, enjoying this job. I got to just do something to bring in more money. You quit your job. You need to quit. You're quitting your job by the end of August. And he goes, no, I really can't. And I was like, well, you need to. It's fine. We can make it work. We can live on love. It will work out. You know, I'm just like, let's do this. And he like gets out a spreadsheet and he's like, no, seriously, look, we can't afford for me to not work. And I looked at the spreadsheet and all of our numbers and I was like, oh, that's really scary if you don't have a job. Okay, what am I going to do? Here's the thing, though. I am not giving up teaching, and I'm not giving up time with my kids. What can I do? I'm not going to, so I do not want to go tend bar. I know that would bring in some money, but that is time away, and I just, I just physically can't. I don't want to take on more gigs. It's more time away from my kids, and it makes me tired. I don't want to do it. What am I going to do? That's when I got a video about Arbonne. And I started that business because I, I wanted to make money. I wanted to be able to give Scott the opportunity to pursue a profession that breathes life into him the way that teaching does for me. But what changed was, so I started it like July 28th of 2017. My first real 30 days to healthy living group was January 1st, the following January. That changed everything. I had four clients all of them had incredible success. All of them had that glowing. All of them were like, this is amazing. And I'm doing this for the next month. And suddenly, the, the satisfaction I get out of teaching, out of singing, that's what I was getting out of Arbonne. I was changing lives for helping. the better. You were helping. Yes. I'm making a difference in the world. And you were helping people how they needed to be helped. Mm-hmm. How they, in fact, wanted to be helped. Mm -hmm. I mean, they may not have known that they wanted to be helped that way, but they convinced themselves and you helped them. Yeah. Right? I yeah. Mean, so um, I was really nervous to share the business with people because I was afraid of the whole network marketing thing. But, like, I think it happened recently. I've just been I, – I know I wouldn't say recently. I would say, like – from about last summer until, I don't know, like March, I was really in a funk because I stopped doing what I, what I knew I should be doing with Arbonne. Like I would say, I, I, I should call that person, but I'm just going to sit here a little longer. And I was denying myself and that made me get really depressed. Yeah. And I had, I it took me a while to get out of that. And what happened was I got, I went to an Arbonne meeting and I did not want to go and I used every excuse I could to try to talk myself out of going. And I even came home and I said, Scott, I don't want to go to this meeting, but I really need to go. And he goes, I said, do you have any reason why I could not go? Like, help me come up with an excuse. And he goes, well, 
is this an income producing activity? And I said, no, but I mean, I need it if I'm going to get back into this. And he goes, well, you should go. And I was like, damn it. Okay, I'm going. So I went. I knew it was an inflection point. I'm listening to this girl named Ashley Strong. She's an NVP, and she's a straight shooter. She's in the Air Force, but she is like top level of our company. She got there in three years. And when she talks, there's no bullshit. And I like, I like listening to her talk. So I'm listening to her. She's one of my favorites. We get there. This girl gets up to start talking. It's Ashley Strong, like the girl I was just listening to on the way there and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god and I'm totally cheesing out like <laughs> like total fangirl and the meeting gets over with and I'm like hi hi I'm, I'm a, your biggest fan and she took the time she doesn't know me she doesn't make any money off of me she took the time to talk to me and she's like well what's holding you back and I'm like I'm just really busy and she said you know what when one of my district managers which is the level I'm at says to me that she's too busy I have control over how I interpret that. I have control over someone saying words, how I let that come into my mind, and what I interpret that as them actually saying. So when you say that to me, it's telling me that you're actually saying my future self, my family, and my future team are not important enough. And if when I just said that to you, you got upset, then you need to change. And I was like, because my first reaction was, who the F do you think you are? You do, my family's not the most important? Who are you? And I got really upset. Right. And so she's like, if that upset you, then you need to change. And yeah. I was like, okay. And that made me go, okay, yeah, no, I'm doing this. And I started listening to podcasts again. I started reading the books that I should have been reading that are going to feed my soul, not just entertain me. And... um that happened in February, I think, February, the beginning of February. Yeah. The rest of February was planting seeds. March has gotten better, and now April's going whoosh because all of the learning that was there the whole time, the spiritual fulfillment, the, the reinforcing that this is all within my power, like this is... Uh, everybody has circumstances. Everybody has given circumstances. You have the power over your response. And I was not taking power. I was, I was, I was just letting that power go. I was being impassive. And once you decide to be proactive, then like it's energizing. Like, I'm busy, but it's not that I'm busy. It's that I am energized. You Do you like doing it? I mean, do you enjoy doing it? I love doing it. Yeah. I love coaching people. I love helping. I love my clients that I'm helping them find solutions. And I love it that I'm doing it with the products that are helping them live sure. healthier. And then I also love it when I take them to the grocery store and we just go shopping and I like, they're like, oh, which ketchup should I get? Get this one. This one's organic. Which organic, which pickles should I get? Try these. You know, like I know I've done this long enough that I know all these little tricks and I just love going and helping people. Yeah. And everybody's at a different level. Some, some people, I think they get overwhelmed because they're like, I got to make a total 100% change right now. No, this happens slowly over time. Let me help you make little steps. You can't make any change. Not any change. Let me rephrase that. Most changes in life that 
we make have to be making little steps to get yeah. to the big to get to the big change. Yeah, the gradual. It's just too much. Yeah. So, um, little successes. Mm hmm. I didn't even mean to go gluten free or dairy free, to be honest. What, how that happened a year and a half ago is I went shopping with my client and we were getting ready for this 30 days to healthy living. And I felt really bad because I was saying, so you're going to just want to get gluten free pasta instead of regular pasta. Here's some. And then I started to see, say, well, but I'm going to take the regular pasta and put it in my cart because my kids want it. <laughs> and I felt, I felt really hypocritical. So I just started but buying. But the problem isn't yours. But what happened was if I was going to do, if she was going to do it, I had to support her. Because if I was telling her, you do this, but I'm going to do this. But that's the thing. You lead by you example. You don't have the problem, though. I did. But you didn't know that. I didn't know I had the problem. Right. So... I didn't know I was gluten. I didn't mean to go gluten or dairy free. It was just two weeks in. I realized, wait a minute. I haven't had any gluten or dairy for two weeks because I just substituted all those things out. Oh my God. Um, here's the thing. Everybody thinks like it's all about losing weight. It is not about losing weight. It's about getting healthy. I did not need to lose weight. Yeah. I, I didn't need to lose weight. If anything, I needed to put some on. So there's a lot of people out there that will get you to join a healthy living movement because they put before and after pictures. Look at me when I was all flabby. Now look at me all toned. I don't have those pictures because I was never really super flabby. Right. But what I did have was uncontrollable periods. I had incredible pain in my neck. And I would go to the chiropractor at least once a week. I had um, no energy. I had, uh, my muscles were fatigued. I had zits right here that I never get anymore. I, my weight would fluctuate. Every time I stood up, my vision would fade to black a little bit and then come back. Mm -hmm. Sometimes worse than low others. Low blood pressure. Yeah. yeah. And low blood pressure. Or you were, your, your blood pressure would, would uh, drop when you stood up. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't just every once in a while. This is every single time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I would get hungry, it wasn't just like a little, oh, I'm kind of hungry. It was like, boom, and I'm so sh hungry, I'm shaking. Because we're not thinking about it, yeah. And mm -hmm. none of those things can you see on the outside. All of those things have gone away, plus more that I haven't even told you about. Because I can't remember. We get so used to the state that we're living in that we forget that it's not healthy. I forgot that it wasn't healthy to need coffee. You got good forgetters. Yeah. We got good forgetters. I want to talk about our addiction to coffee for a second. Please do. It's like an addiction. Like people think it's cool to need coffee. There's t-shirts, no coffee, no talkie yet, or something like that. And I'm like, why is that cool? I see my high school students come in with these monster drinks and coffee drinks, and I'm like, come on, that's not good for you. Stop it. If you're dependent on that, that's a sign that something is missing in your nutrition. But Some when you're told every day, and I'm not, I'm not making excuses. That butt is not making excuses. This one's just going, we are told every day. From media, from friends, from social, from everything out there, that this is okay. And uh, this is desirable. Yeah. Please, and you want more of it. Because when we're, someone's like, oh, I need, I'm so glad I've got my coffee. And you wanna feel, you wanna look cool like them? Try to, try to not drink coffee. Like once you get yourself off the caffeine part of it, try to not drink coffee for a period of time and then have one cup of coffee. It tastes horrible. And then sit there for 30 minutes 
Just sit in the same spot for 30 minutes and don't do anything else. Go have, even take one shot of espresso and sit in the coffee shop and do nothing else, but just sit there and feel your body. I start sweating from the inside and I know everybody starts sweating from the inside. I get that. But when you feel sweat on the inside of your body and you're shaking on the core, there's something wrong with the fact that that's not right. Right. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, I don't need caffeine because it's making me angry. Like I want to yell at people right now too. It's making me shaky. It's making me feel and that's acidic. One, that's right here. one shot of espresso. Mm-hmm. That's not a whole, you know. That's not like drinking a whatever. And I've and I've taken it over like a fifteen minute period. It's not like I just shot the whole damn thing. No. It, and people go, "Oh, I have to have coffee." I'm like, "Yeah, if I had coffee, I'd be telling you that I'd have to have coffee too." Right. Fat is an organism as well. When it's on you, it says it's supposed to be here. Right. It does. You're supposed to keep, like, that is one of the signals we get biologically when we're losing fat is go eat. You're losing fat stores. And that's evolution-wise how we've survived. But now we don't have to because we live in society where everything is given to us. And you right. don't have to eat. Uh, we don't live in a what they call a zero-sum society more. We live in a plus-sum world, meaning that we don't make our own life anymore. We mm-hmm. create our life, but we don't have to make it by literally growing it every day and worrying about where our food comes from. No. Yeah. So I want to take this conversation about coffee and I want to apply it to the idea of being busy. Like when women do this all the time, hey, what have you been up to? Oh, I've just been so busy. Yeah, doing what? Oh my God, like running the kids around and I've been doing this and like we just had, this just happened. It's never in a positive. My goodness, I, if that is the definition of busyness, I am one of the busiest people you'll ever meet, but you don't see me bragging about being busy because I do not think, I don't think it's glamorous to say that you're busy. Nobody says, Oh my gosh, did you hear from her? She said she's busy. I really want to be like that. It just means you have no time for anything else. Right. So here's my next point. And I talked about this on Instagram the other day. Um, I recently had a breakthrough a couple weeks ago. I changed my needs into my, my needs into musts, which is a Tony Robbins thing. But then I actually switched it further to want. So... Instead of saying, uh, I can't Wednesday, I have to take Kira to art class. Change I have to to I want to. I want to take Kira to art class. And as soon as I say that, I think in my head, actually, yeah, I do want to take her because I want to support her and her interests. And I think it's a positive growth thing. Well, and I'm, I, I, want to, I want her to have those experiences. Like I'm reminded of all the reasons why we made this choice. So it makes me go, I... I'm doing this and I feel good about that. And I feel okay telling you, no, I can't do that on Wednesday because I want, this has a priority for me. In the same way, there's been one or two times where I've said, I have to go do this. But then I, when I change it to, I want, I go, wait a minute, why do I want this? Wait, what, what am I, why did I decide this was a good idea? I can't think of any reason why I, was, I think maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe I need to trim this from my life. So it's really one of the things that Arbon has done for me has helped me clarify my purposes. What you like, want. this is what I want. These are my goals. I want my daughter to be well-rounded. I want her to know that she's loved and that she's supported. 
And I want her to have opportunities at this small age where the stakes are low to make mistakes so that when she's bigger and the stakes are high, she's already learned. So I want to give her opportunity, those kinds of opportunities. That's why I do those things that we do the things we do. When you can say about just about everything in your life, no, I want to do that and feel right as rain about that, then you know you're living on purpose. I think that's a good place to stop. Or do you want to keep going? Because I think join, that's right. I, come I, I and join. believe you. I can't argue. I'm not going to argue with you. And I, and I don't think I've argued with you much. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I always uh, enjoy talking to you. And thank you. And I do too. That's, we stop uh, there by saying, come and join my Arbound team, man. I'm ready to change some lives. Come on. Let's do it. Uh, and thank you for your time. I appreciate, you know, all your good words and help. You know, um, I have to tell you this. It's been floating in my head for a while. So whenever we play Landslide, since we had Kira, she's eight years old now, I always think of my children. Um, can the child in my heart rise above? Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? Uh-uh. I've been afraid of changing because I've built my life around you. But time makes bolder children older. I'm getting older too. But I've always sang that and thought about losing her. And what does that mean? And it's really funny because the last several gigs, I wouldn't say several, like, I don't know, five since the beginning of this year, that song has changed. And all of a sudden, I don't agree with that song anymore. I've sang it for years. Because she goes on to say, can I handle the seasons of my life? Uh-uh. No, I can't. And in my head, I'm thinking, Oh, yeah, bring it on. I cannot wait to see what's next. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much. You, Andy. See you later. See you.